If Jacob Justice goes pop, pop. That's about right for Jacob. Pop. I, during the message, I'm going to be distracted. <laughs> All right, I don't know where that guy is. Maybe he's in the room, maybe he's not. All right. Good morning, good morning. If I've not had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Alan Pittman. I have the pleasure of serving as senior pastor as well as one of the elders here. And we are absolutely thrilled that you're worshiping with us today. I know some of you may be uh, visiting family and friends, kind of getting ready for the holidays. We're glad that you are here with us. If you don't have a church home, we'd love you to come back next Sunday or any other Sunday and worship with us. If you're a first-time guest, we would also like a chance to connect with you. And the best way that can happen is there's a connection card that Ricky mentioned a moment ago. Just take your time and fill that out. Drop that in the offering plate when it's passed a little bit later, and that will allow us to kind of get in touch with you and keep you up to date with what's going on in the life of the church. Next Sunday is uh, Christmas Eve, and we are still having worship, and it'll be at 1030. It'll be a family-style worship where we're all together. There'll be no um, preschool or children's worship or fusion that morning so that we can all worship together. And therefore, we're going to structure the service a little bit differently. Um, and the rumor on the street is the preacher's not going to preach as long next week. So you're going to be off. Uh, so I should be able to keep it under 45 minutes next week. So hopefully, uh, no, it is going to be a shorter service, a uh, shorter message, I should say, and a chance for us to worship as a church body and hope that you'll make plans to be here. If you're not out of town, uh, don't skip out on service next Sunday at 1030. A couple other things real quickly. Don't forget that we are doing the blood drive today. They're going to be in the parking lot over this direction as soon as the service is over with and they'll be there until four o'clock. Whether you have a, an appointment already or not, if you schedule an appointment, it doesn't matter. Just stop in and we would love for you to contribute. Uh, there's a great need in our community. They contacted us and said, would you put this on? We understand that it's almost Christmas time, but the need is large. And so they said, let's go ahead and schedule it. Um, also, I wanted to uh, let you know, remind you that we want to finish the year strong financially. And uh, so a couple ways to do that. If the Lord has led you to give a certain amount this calendar year, just remember the calendar year is coming to an end. So let's finish strong with our financial giving. In addition to that, we encourage all of you to pray about giving above and beyond your normal giving uh, towards the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Uh, there's an envelope for that. You don't have to use that. You can mark it on your check. You can mark it on your envelope. You can give online accordingly. Uh, but that money, 100%, is going to missionaries around the world. Uh, the 40,000-something Southern Baptist churches in the United States pull our uh, money together, and it goes directly to the international mission field. No administrative cost comes out of that or anything. So I want to ask you to continue to give to that. I think right now we've uh, about 1800 we've given as a church family. And then with the proceeds from the ticket sales uh, for the play that happened this weekend, some additional money will go towards that. But I encourage you to give uh, strong with both of those, all right? Okay, hopefully when you came in, you picked up a worship guide. It looks something like this. On the back side, you'll see a place to take some notes. If you've been with us a while, you know that we have been preaching through the book of Acts. I have good news for you. Uh, in January, when we start back Acts, we have three weeks of Acts, and then we finish up the book. We've, we'll have preached through verse by verse uh, through the book of Acts, and then we'll take a couple of weeks to preach on another topic, and then uh, I believe it is the first or second week of February, we're starting uh, verse by verse through the book of Micah, which is an Old Testament prophet, and hope that you'll uh, plug in and be a part of that. But right now, we're walking through a series called The Coming King, and, and you can take notes uh, on the back of this uh, worship guide as we go through the message, and, and uh, hopefully you've got a Bible with you. If you don't, that's okay. We'll have some words on the screen as well as we have some hardbound 
copies of the scripture uh, in a chair or underneath the chair around you. Feel free to use that during the service. If you need a Bible or know someone who needs one, in all seriousness, take that with you. And it can be your gift or uh, somebody you hand it off to because we want everybody to have a copy of God's Word. And I understand that technology is wonderful, but I just personally don't like reading off the Bible off of technology because I just like to touch the Bible and turn the page and highlight and circle and do all of that. Um, but anyway, encourage you to, to grab a Bible. Turn with me uh, to Matthew chapter 1. That should be a little bit easier to find than some of the books we look at. That's the first book of the New Testament. It's going to be in Mar- Ma- uh, Matthew chapter 1. Let's not put the verses up there yet. Um, over the past few weeks, I threw them for a loop because I started talking about the Bible and they threw the verses up there. Over the past few weeks, we've been walking through um, journeying towards the town of Bethlehem. In fact, last week we looked at uh, Micah as it talks about the birth of the coming king in Bethlehem. We've preached on this topic. We've studied the scripture on this topic. In fact, hopefully you've been following along with us with the Bible studies that we have. If you haven't, you can jump in and read through them. Just use this QR code on the bottom of your worship guide. It'll take you to our Advent study guide, and you'll see all the current weeks leading up to this week. And then um, if you don't have a QR code that you want to use, you can just go to our website, lhbc.net, and you can go to Hope and all of that, and you'll find it. But we've been walking up to this idea of the coming king. And traditionally, when we get ready to read the story of Jesus, the birth of Jesus, we would turn to Luke because it has a lot of information about the birth of Jesus. But today, we are going to look at Matthew. So we're going to go ahead and throw Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 up there. As we look at this story of Jesus in Matthew, we'll see Jesus as the coming king. So you see on the screen there, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, it says this, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And then it refers to Jesus Christ as the son of David, the son of Abraham. So I want us to look at this verse for just a second. The book of Matthew begins with the genealogy of Jesus, tells who his father and grandfather and great-great-grandfather and all down the line are. And it says that he is the son of David, the son of Abraham. The son of David points to the fact that God had made a covenant with King David to have a perpetual or ongoing descendant of his on the throne and so jesus is the fulfillment of that and then it says that he is the son of abraham because abraham was the starting point of god's covenant with his people and he set up abraham as the father of of the people of israel and and so it's it's solidifying jesus as being a fulfillment of that covenant as well and then verses 2 through 17, which we're not going to read right now, but verses 2 through 17 has a lot of names in it because it's the genealogy. And it walks from Abraham down to a guy by the name of Jacob, not just Abraham's son, Jacob, but his great, 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 whatever grandson, Jacob. And Jacob is the father of Joseph, and Joseph is the husband of Mary, the mother of Jesus. So I want us to now look at verse 16. And it will say the very thing I just said. It it finishes the genealogy of Jesus by saying, and then there's Jacob. And Jacob's the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. It's interesting to see here that it's Joseph through whom the genealogy of David comes down to Jesus. It's not Mary, and perhaps we don't really have Mary's genealogy necessarily, so we don't know for sure. She could have been connected directly through David as well, but for a fact, we know that based on this genealogy that the, the, the lineage of David comes to Jesus through Joseph, and we're going to continue to read about Joseph and his story. 
in Matthew's account, the genealogy that is in verses 1 through 17, as well as the story of the birth of Jesus that we read in verses 18 through 25 in a moment, they are all pointing to Joseph's perspective and his story. And so through this, we're going to see that Jesus is the fulfillment of the coming king. So let's go down to verse 18. In verse 18, if you've got a Bible, if you're reading off your Bible, don't look at your Bible right now. Do me a favor. Everyone look at the screen for verse 18. And the reason I'm doing that is because I've left a few words off of verse 18 because I want us to try to experience the story of the birth of Jesus through Joseph's perspective. Because there's a hint at what's going on at the end of verse 18 that tells us the rest of the story, but Joseph wasn't privy to it, and we want to experience it just like he experienced it. And so it goes like this. In verse 18, look at the screen for this one, and then after we get past 18, you can look at your Bible again. Verse 18, and we're going to come back to it. Don't think I'm like taking away from God's word. Please don't think that. Verse 18 says this. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child. Can you be Joseph for just a moment? You're like, that was 2,000 years ago. I can't hardly be him. But try to sit in this. Joseph is betrothed to Mary. You're like, I don't even know what that word means. Let me tell you what betrothed means. Betrothed is like officially officially legally bound to marry someone it's more than an engagement it's a marriage without the marriage and what i mean by that is for a year they would be betrothed committed to each other but they would not consummate the marriage because they weren't yet married and yet they were married because to break up this betrothment would require you to get a divorce so this is something more than our engagements. It's funny, I was talking to my daughter yesterday, and she goes, I'm getting tired of reading everybody's like, wedding and engagement process. She's got a friend who got her arrangements for her wedding before she even officially was engaged, before she had a ring. I'm like, that's kind of out of order. But in betrothment, this official, and they're ready to get married, it's just going to happen in about a year. And so here is Joseph. He's betrothed and committed to Mary. And Mary shows up, and she's pregnant. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) Joseph knows they've not been intimate together. Joseph knows a stork does not deliver a baby, but something happens between a man and a woman to have a baby, if you know what I'm saying. So Joseph puts one and one together, and it's a quick two. That's not his child. Can you imagine, can you imagine being Joseph? In our culture, we live in an anything-goes culture. It's a wrong outlook, but it's an anything-goes culture. But I guarantee it, if you go to the family Christmas meal and you've got a cousin who's engaged to a woman and they come stumbling into the Christmas lunch and they congratulate you on the coming baby, And the engaged man says, oh, that's not my baby. That's Johnny down the street's baby. Like, it would be scandalous even in today's anything goes culture, right? How much more so 
2,000 years ago in a law-abiding, following God's law to a T, not always because their heart's in it, but following it regardless, and Joseph finds out she's pregnant. It is a scandal, I tell you. It is a scandal. So let's keep reading. Don't show them the rest of 18. Jump right down to verse 19. And then you can look at the screen. You can look at your Bible and all of that. Here's what it says in verse 19. And her husband, and he calls him a husband because it's a betrothment and it's a husband, but they haven't been together yet, right? They, her husband, um, Joseph, being a just man and willing, uh, sorry, unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Let's stop there. It says that Joseph is just. It could have the word righteous. It's the same word. I never know how to say it in, in, in like trying to pronounce the Greek, but it's spelled D-I-A-K-O-S. And that word means righteous or just. It, it, it indicates that this man, Joseph, was following God's law. And because he was just, and because God's law said that you cannot have adultery, and this, committed, this woman, in his mind, had committed adultery because there's no other option at this point in his mind, he says, I can't marry this woman because she has broken God's law. And yet, I'm just man, and I don't want to criticize her and cast her out. I don't want her stoned by the community. I don't want her humiliated. And so, I'm just going to kind of privately, quietly get a divorce. So now we can pick up the rest of the story, which would have told us what was in 18 if we read that, but we didn't read that. So let's find it in 20. We're going to read verses 20 and 21. But, I love it. When the word but shows up in the Bible, look, because something good is fixing to happen or sometimes bad, but sometimes good. And here's good. But as Joseph considered these things, behold, and the word behold is a big word in the Bible too, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. And here's what the angel said. Joseph, catch this, son of David, Joseph, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. And now he finds out the rest of the story. You can look back at verse 18 now. And it says, it says, don't be afraid to take her as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. But everything changed when an angel of God appeared to Joseph in this dream. He told him, don't be afraid to take her as your wife because this child was conceived of the Holy Spirit. The word conceived is the word genomai, G-I-N-A-M-A-I. -I. I think I've just misspelled it, but that's okay. Genomai, it's a Greek word. It's actually the same root as the word in John 3.16, where it says, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. And so it's the same word, this conceived, begotten. We're going to discuss this word in just a moment. When the child is born, the angel says, you are to name him Jesus We'll talk more about that in a second, too. Let's go down to verses 22 and 23. In verses 22 and 23, it says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And then he quotes Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, which we also looked at last week. And here's what it says. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. We see that Jesus' birth is a fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 7. And then the last two verses of the chapter, 24 and 25. When Joseph woke from sleep, 
He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took his wife, but knew her not. That's a code word for they didn't have sex. Did not know her until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, you can look at verse 18 again, it's fine, but I wanted us to sit in what would it have been like to be in Joseph's shoes to get this news that his betrothed wife is pregnant, and then he finds out because the angel tells him this child is conceived of the Holy Spirit, call him Emmanuel, call him Jesus, and Joseph obeys what God tells him to do. There's three names of the coming king that I want us to highlight today. They're all in this passage, and they're all on your sheet of paper there, and they'll be on the screen as we go along. Each one of these names of Jesus answers a question about him. The first one is this, he is the son of David. We saw that in verse 1, right? Verse 1 said that this is the genealogy or the story of the birth of Jesus, and we see that he is referred to, Jesus himself, as the son of David. In fact, if you look at verse 20, when the angel shows up to Joseph, the very first thing he says to him is, Joseph, son of David. Here's something very interesting. In all of Scripture, the term son of David is always in reference to the coming Messiah, to Jesus Christ himself. This is the only exception. Verse 20 is the only time that anyone besides Jesus is referred to as son of David, other than actual David's literal son Solomon, okay? We get that. But the son of David is the only the title is only used of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, except for in verse 20. And in verse 20, it's in reference to Joseph. There is significance here in that. Because Joseph is the lineage of David, the fulfillment of what had been stated earlier. The title, Son of David, answers this question: Where did he come from? Where did this coming king come from? He is the son of David. You're like, that doesn't really answer the question. I promise you it does. It answers the question, where did he come from? Because the significance is this, that God had promised, as I said earlier, that King David, you will have someone on the throne for eternity. And the only way this could have happened is if something special happened, and that is Jesus, the son of God, comes. And so to point to the fact that he is the son of David, yes, he's in the lineage of David, but it doesn't seem to match up because the promise that was given to David was a thousand years earlier. And then over 500 years prior to when Jesus is born, the last king was over Judah and there was no more kings of Judah and there was 500 years of no king and then all of a sudden Jesus shows up and so the only way he could do that is that he was something bigger and beyond just a human lineage of King David. Just a quick reminder Joseph was not Jesus' father because he didn't play a role in the conception of Jesus, right? But he adopted, if you will, Jesus. And so his adoption of Jesus put him in the lineage of son of David. And therefore, the only way that Jesus is the son of David is through a miracle because he is God in the flesh. So this title of son of David actually points to the fact that he comes from origins much further back, actually, than David. In fact, it goes back to Genesis 3.15, week one of this series. We looked at Genesis 3.15, where there was a promised offspring that would come to Eve, and this promised offspring would bring victory over the serpent, Satan, in the garden as we read about that. You can go back and watch the previous sermons. You can go back and read Genesis chapter 3 and see that. But again, it's pointing to Jesus goes way back 
because he is God. You see, hope was found in the coming baby. Don't lose sight of the fact that Jesus was born of a virgin. Look down in verse 23. In verse 23, it quotes Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. And the verse there says that a child will be born to a virgin. And the reality that a child is born to the virgin, let me just tell you something. That is somewhat of a miracle. <laughs> I get it, I get it, I get it. Technically, we've gone to messing with genetics and there's ways scientifically that they could insert things and a woman could give birth and she could technically be a virgin but that's not god's doing right the only way a child naturally can be born is through a woman who is not a virgin and so therefore it again points to the origins of jesus is much bigger than a human he is divine he was conceived or begotten of the holy spirit jesus has divine origins while this story tells of his birth in bethlehem he has always been let me say that again. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but that was not his starting point. He has always been. He is God eternal, pre-existent, God from eternity past, God into eternity future. He is God. The Holy Spirit made the pre-existent second person of the Trinity into a human being. In our class, in uh, equipment class this past semester, we studied um, the doctrines of the church, and we look back at some of the old creeds of the church, and there's one called the Nicene Creed that refers to who Jesus is, and it says this, I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all the worlds, begotten, not made. Jesus was not made. God sent his Son who has always been Jesus is God. The son of David points to the fact that Jesus is God. And it also shows us the faithfulness of God because he keeps his promise. I've got two reflection questions I want you to see on the screen. And the first one says this. I want you to answer the question, why is it critical for us to remember that Jesus has always existed? That his birth in Bethlehem wasn't his beginning. The answer, short answer is this. If we forget this fact then we fall into heresy because Jesus is not a good guy or a good teacher. He is God in the flesh. He is a good guy. He is a good teacher, but that is not who he is. He is God in the flesh. And if we want to make it where Jesus didn't exist until he was born in Bethlehem, we totally miss the point of scripture. The second question along the same lines is taking it from a different angle. And that is, how does the fact that God kept his promise to David, remembering that he made this promise to David a thousand years prior, how does him keeping his promise to David impact your life? The fact that Jesus is son of David should bring us hope, knowing that we worship the true God who's always been and always keeps his promises. The second title I want us to look at is He is Jesus. You're like, I already knew that. You've said it a bunch of times. Like, we know Jesus' name. But I don't want us to look, overlook why Jesus' name is Jesus. Mary and Joseph didn't wake up one day and go, you know what? I've been reading that uh, 20,000 names to name your kid. And it seems like Jesus is not a very popular name right now. And I don't want to name our boy Billy because everybody in the world has a name Billy. Let's name him Jesus. Like, that's not how it went down. In fact, the one who had the opportunity to name the, the child Jesus is the father, because that's kind of how they did the things, right? The dad would give the name, but the dad didn't really name this child because this child came from God, the son of God, and God gave him the name. 
And so Jesus, in verse 21, we see the significance of the name Jesus, which if you were reading it in Hebrew, it might say Joshua or Yeshua. It, the name Jesus and Joshua are, are the same name. And here's what it says in verse 21. It says, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. And here's why. For he will save his people from their sins. The word Jesus means Yahweh saves. God saves. But then the angel felt the need to clarify what this salvation was all about. It wasn't just salvation in general. It was specific. And he said the salvation means that he will save his people from their sins. This is why Jesus came. Not so that we could exchange presents 2,000 years ago and have big stockings full of Snickers and deodorant and underwear. He came because he came to bring us life, to bring us salvation. Jesus brings salvation from sin. Jesus came to the world to deliver and restore us. Have you ever wondered why Jesus is missed by some people? Like, why did the Jews overlook him? Not as entirely, but a vast majority of them that were alive 2,000 years ago when he was born, and they died, and he was raised again, and ascended into heaven. Why did they miss him? Here are some simplistic reasons, but they're the same reasons that you and I could miss him too, or your neighbor could miss him. It's a misunderstanding of what he brings salvation from. You see, when Jesus brings salvation, it's not salvation from military power, and giving military power to someone else to save us from our enemies. You see, the Jews thought that the Messiah would come and overthrow Rome, and they would set up shop and be of true kingdom once again. Another thing it's not salvation from is freedom gained. I'm, I'm, I'm realizing my notes are not, uh, I'm like saying the wrong way. Here, here let, me, let me rephrase it. What this freedom, what this salvation is, is not freedom from people who are oppressing us that's not what the salvation was promised it's also not simply a rescue from a bind or a difficult situation oh my goodness i'm about to go bankrupt and surely god will save me from that and sometimes we just want him to be like specific to our situation it's also not a promise of a king that would be a king over israel and be about national pride and patriotism and identity and power. No, they missed the train when it came to what salvation was all about. And all too often, we misunderstand what salvation is about as well. He's come to save us from our sins. He's come to make us right with God. He, he saves us from the penalty of sin. And he also saves us from the power of sin. And thank God, one day he will save us from the presence of sin. You see, he saves us from the penalty of sin because he brings justification and salvation and conversion when we trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And so he saves us from our sin, the penalty that we deserve, death and separation from God. But as we walk through life, he brings sanctification as we become more and more like Jesus. And therefore, he begins to, to bring us freedom from the power of sin in our lives. And then one day when we go to heaven, after Jesus comes back or after our death, we will be in the presence of God and therefore we will be out of the presence of sin. Jesus came to bring salvation from our sins. We need rescue from sin all throughout our lives. 
Don't read this and go, well, you know what, Alan? It says Jesus came to save us from our sins. And you know, when I was eight years old, I got saved. I turned to Jesus as my Savior, and I genuinely made that decision. I was baptized, and I've been a member of a church. And thank God I've, I've, I've experienced what it means that Jesus is salvation. I'm glad you experienced that, but salvation is an ongoing thing through our lives. It's a one-time event for conversion, but it's an on, ongoing process of becoming more and more like Jesus. We need the gospel throughout our lives. Here's what the gospel says. The gospel says that because of our sin, our rebellion against God, all of us, 100% of us, anybody that's ever walked this planet except for Jesus himself is a sinner. And because of our sin, that we are separated eternally from a holy, perfect God and they, they, that, that we experience because of that death for eternity. Not just a physical death like we're put in the ground when we die, but a physical and spiritual death and separation eternally from a holy, perfect God. But praise God, he sent his son, the coming king that's been promised, the son of David, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. And he came and he lived a perfect life. He didn't deserve death because he lived a righteous life. He lived a life that you and I cannot live so that he could die a death that you and I deserve. And then he didn't just lay in a grave dead, no, three days later he was raised to life and he's alive again he's reigning in heaven and he's coming to bring us back to himself so the good news is this you can experience forgiveness of your sins by simply placing your faith and your trust in the finished work of jesus that he died in your place that he was raised on the third day and you acknowledge that you're a sinner repent of your sins and trust him he's jesus he brings salvation. And it's not just that day that you were saved and you were converted to, to Christianity and became a follower of Jesus, but it's an ongoing life of following Jesus. And that same salvation, that same gospel message is what keeps us following Jesus. We don't earn his love. We don't lose his love. We stand firm in the gospel that causes us to grow in our faith and understanding of who Jesus is. Jesus saves so here's a couple of questions to ask you. The first one says this, have you experienced this salvation? Have you trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Have you repented of your sins? Have you said, I'm tired of going my own way, and I may not know everything that there is to know about Jesus, but I know he's the Son of God, that he came to, to wash away my sins, and I've trusted in him, and I turn to him in repentance and in faith, and by his grace he washes me clean. And then the second question is, are you experiencing this salvation? See, I got saved when I was at VBS when I was eight years old. I'm 43 years older than that now. And the reality is I need the gospel just as much today as I needed it back then. And am I growing and experiencing his salvation in my life? Jesus saves. Let me just tell you a little hint. I don't know if you've ever known this or not. But us pastors... We are not immune to temptation. Like I'm standing up here on this stage, it's just simply so you can see me. Like if I wasn't, if you didn't see me, you could most definitely still hear me, right? But hey, there you go. But this stage doesn't make me higher than, better than, or anything. I'm not on a pedestal. Come into the office some Monday or Tuesday. The reality is, I need the salvation that Jesus brings just as much as anybody else. And who knows, in some ways, in a different way, not more than, but in different ways, 
Satan would like to take down pastors left and right. He'd like to take down deacons, elders, hope group leaders, ministry leaders. He'd like to take down everybody. Let's just call it like it is, right? We need the salvation of Jesus. Third title is this, Emmanuel. We've already talked about this some, but he is Emmanuel. You can see it in verse 23. This answers the question. Oh, I didn't even tell you what the question was in the other one. He's Jesus. That answers the question, what did he come to do? Salvation. He is Emmanuel now. It answers the question, who is he? He is Emmanuel, which means God with us. As we mentioned earlier, that's a fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. In fact, verse 23 is a quotation directly from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Throughout the ages, God has revealed himself through his word. Throughout the ages, God has revealed himself through his word. and That word has been found primarily through the written and spoken word of God. But now he's chosen to reveal himself through the word, Jesus Christ himself. Let me read to you Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. I know the ladies did that uh, study this year, but uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 says this, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke, there's God's word, to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, Jesus, the word, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is, talking about Jesus, the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. All throughout time, God has chosen to speak through his word, and God has spoken finally through the word, Jesus Christ. And if you want to spend some time reading about the word of God, read John chapter 1, verses 1 through 15, 16, 17, somewhere in there, and you'll read about the word, and the word is Jesus. See, he is God with us. John 1 talks about how Jesus came to dwell among us and he set up his tent, if you will, and he's one of us. This word with, God with us in the Greek is interesting because it's much more than just a, what is that called, a conjunction or a preposition or a something. I'm not a grammarian, but the word with is much more than just that. The word with in the Greek here carries with it a participant and an action. In other words, God is with us in an active way. Jesus came to bring us comfort. The fact that Jesus is God with us brings us comfort. As I prayed about a moment ago, that Jesus walked this planet. He knows what it's like to be a human. He is with us. And yet at the same time, the active role that God plays in being, Jesus plays in being God with us calls us to repentance. The fact that God is with us means that he knows us inside and out. We can't escape from him. He knows our sin we can't run and hide. He's with us. You talk to the atheist or the agnostic, they may think God doesn't exist or that it doesn't matter or I don't care or I can't know. The reality is God is with them just as much as he is with you in a literal sense. God is ever-present. They may acknowledge, not acknowledge him. They may turn from him. They may not experience the blessings of God is with him, but God is with them nevertheless, which actually brings judgment by their rejection of him. Here's what Psalm 139, verse 7 says. We read it a moment ago, and I want to read it to us again. It says, where shall I go from your spirit? 
Or where shall I flee from your presence? He says, if I tried to run from God, if I'm not a follower of Jesus, I know this was written in the Old Testament, so it doesn't say Jesus, but if I'm trying to run from God, and and in today's words, if I'm trying to run from Jesus, I don't want to believe in him. The reality is he is still there. And the reality is this, God with us brings us comfort if we're one of his, and if we're not one of his, it actually should bring us great fear. You see, we can ignore him, we can deny him, we can curse him, but he's still right here with us. When God calls us to repentance, we must respond or face his judgment. You see, he's with us, so if you believe him, then you have salvation in his blessings. He's with us, and as we live out our lives, as we go through difficult moments, as we go and make disciples and seek to live for Jesus, he is with us and guiding us. But if you don't believe in Jesus... He's still with you, and as he's with you, he's calling you to repentance. He's calling you to trust in him. Ultimately, you and I experience God with us, Emmanuel, because whenever we are followers of Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives within us, he indwells within us, and he is literally with us constantly. Brings us great comfort if you're a follower of Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus, God doesn't dwell in you. But he's with you, he sees you, he's calling you to himself. Repent and trust in him for salvation. See, Jesus is the son of David. Jesus is, uh, Jesus is Jesus, that's redundant. He is the son of David, he is Jesus, and he is Emmanuel, God with us. Let's look at a couple of questions here. Do you find comfort in the fact that God is with you? If you're a follower of Jesus and you're not finding comfort, I'm saying we need to focus more on that. I meant to say a moment ago when I got up here to kind of give you an update, many of you in this church family know and love uh, Miss Jean Revis, and perhaps you heard about her little uh, incident this past week, and she had to get a rod inserted in her femur. That's not on my list of things to do, Uh, but she's a trooper. She's done well with it. She moved yesterday to... Uh, rehab center and if you know Jean, would like to see her contact us either this morning or at the church office and we'll tell you where you can go find her but she's gonna be recovering from that and the reality is this it's been really cool this week from tuesday onward to see how god has been with Jean as friends and family and church family have been with her but the reality is this god has been with her all along we talked for a few moments about what it must have been like. I wasn't there. I don't know what it must have been like as she laid on the, uh, on the driveway or the road without a phone, without anybody to call, and she's trying to get help, and thankfully got help pretty quickly. But she said, I just felt so alone. And I said, well, you know what? You were, but the truth of the matter is God was with you. And she's like, yeah, God is with us. There should be great comfort. If you feel alone, if you feel unloved, if you feel unwelcomed, if you feel uncertain, if you're unsure about that relationship, if you don't know where your finances are coming from, if you don't know where you're going to get a job, if you don't know how to make it through the loss of your loved one, if, you have, if your world is crumbling all around you, there is peace and comfort and joy if you're a follower of Jesus because God is with us. That doesn't negate the very real hardship you're going through. Also, It's a reminder of why God put us in church families. Don't go through it alone. Reach out to us. Let us know 
Tell that person in your D group or your hope group or you serve with or you sit by on Sunday mornings or, or the person you never met before, but you pull them over and like, I need to meet you and I need to tell you what's going on in my life. Would you pray with me and pray for me? God made us to be a people of community. First and foremost with him because he is God with us and then to be his hands and feet as we are the body of Christ to each other. So, do you find comfort that God is with you. The second one says this, in what ways do you need to repent of sin in light of the fact that he is with you? Now, hear me what I'm saying here. Yes, God sees your sin and he wants you to repent of it. What I'm not saying is that God is up there going, I can't wait till they sin so I can zap them. And so like, I'm not trying to scare you with this. This is not like scaring the hell out of you. It's like, I want you to know that God is with you. And because he's with you, he wants to be in an intimate relationship with you. And when anything interferes with that, he is wooing you and calling you back. And understand that wooing sometimes means some pretty tough stuff. Discipline, rebuke, correction, punishment, but always to draw us back. If you don't know Jesus, would today be the day that you trusted in him as your savior for that's what he came to do is to bring salvation when jesus was born we discover that he is the coming king who was promised and he came to rescue us from our biggest problem our sin he was eternally begotten because he is god and he predates his birth in bethlehem he is god with us so we can trust him to guide us and we're to follow him so this christmas don't miss the king the king has come He's come for you and for me, and let's not forget this, he has come for the world. So we can have our Christmas parties, and we can have our celebrations, and we can have our worship times, and we can have our community together, and we can be the church together, but if we forget that there, is, there are people outside of these walls, outside of our state, outside of our country that are dying without the hope of Jesus Christ, and we've missed it as well. You see, Jesus came as the son of David, Jesus to bring salvation and to be Emmanuel, God with us, not only us, but everyone walking this planet. That's why we pray for missions. That's why we give to missions. That's why we go on missions. That's why some of us are needing to become a missionary and pick up and move across the planet. That's why he calls us to be leaders in the church and to be pastors and elders and deacons and to be folks that just love their community. God has called us and given us a mission to extend the truth of the reality that he is God and he brings salvation through Jesus and him alone. It's our job to tell others. Let me lead us in prayer. And after this prayer time, we'll have a chance to respond as God leads us. Some of you, you need to say yes to Jesus for the very first time. Like you know about little baby Jesus. You even know about Jesus being raised from the dead. You know the stories of how he walked on water. You know how he fed the multitude. You know how he taught us to live. You know that he wants us a part of a church family. You know that you want to be faithful to follow him, but you don't know Jesus at all. You don't know him personally. You haven't trusted in him for salvation. May today be the day that you say yes to him and not your pedigree, that you'd say yes to him and not your morality. 
There's others of us, we've already said yes to him, but we need to continue to experience his salvation. And we need to repent of sin. We need to trust in him. We need to follow him. We need to do life together. We need to say yes to whatever he's leading us to do. You need to say yes to church membership. You need to say yes to baptism. You need to follow as he leads. I'm going to pray for us. And during the first song, there's going to be um, uh, a chance for you to respond. Come to the front. I'll be here. Uh, During the second song, it's still the same offer. In addition to that, we will pass some plates, and that's where you can put your giving envelope, that's where you can put your connection card, whatever you need to do. I'll be available to pray with you. You can bring somebody to pray with you. You can pray at the altar. You can pray at your seat. You can sit down and kneel there. You can fill out your connection card with any spiritual decisions you're making, but just say yes to whatever God is leading you to do today. Let me pray for us. God, we, um, we worship you. God, we're grateful for the fact that Jesus is the coming King who came to bring life and is coming again. God, we thank you that he is from days of old, that he is God for eternity. He is not just some good teacher. We thank you that Jesus came to bring salvation both from the penalty of sin but also the power of sin in our lives. And we thank you that he's present with us as he guides us through that process. God, would you bring conviction this morning? I've done my best to try to be faithful to the text. I don't know how well I've done, but I know it's not about how I've done or how I've performed. God, I just pray that the words that I've shared would be faithful to the truth of your word so that people could hear the truth of your word and be confronted with it to say yes to you. Father, make this Christmas different because we fully understand this coming King and then empower us to go out and tell others as well. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. If you would, would you stand with us? As we sing together, you follow as the Lord leads you. There at your seat, here at the altar, or pray with me. Let's say yes to him this morning. Let's sing. Set from hell. 
Praise the Lord. Uh, would you be seated for just a second? I just want to talk to you about a, um, a, th a thing. We got a, you might have gotten an email this, this last week uh, from Nathan and I uh, about uh, Christmas uh, staff love offerings. Um, if you remember uh, this, this year's budget that's closing in December, we decided to, to remove uh, the staff uh, Christmas bonuses just to tighten the belt to make sure we can make it through the, the year through the budget. And actually, next year's budget, recently we've all agreed uh, for the 2024 budget uh, to go ahead and uh, include staff uh, Christmas bonuses again. But that still leaves out the staff uh, right now uh, for Christmas. And so I wanted to just kind of explain the email a little bit, um, not preach a whole other sermon. We're not going to be here for another 20 minutes. Don't worry. Um, um, Alan did a great job. I don't need to add to it. But basically, a church member approached us a few months ago, uh, Nathan and I, and just said, hey, is there a way that we could possibly take up a love offering for the staff for this, this Christmas season? season? Uh, and the staff, it's not just Alan and Howard. It, it, there's lots of uh, several staff that work here at Living Hope. And so uh, the way that we've basically decided to do that is this Sunday through the 26th, so starting now through the 26th, you can either give online or you can uh, give uh, in the envelopes uh, that, that are in the seats. And you would just mark it as a staff love offering. Uh, but we would have to uh, receive that before or by December the 26th, so that way it can be included on their on their end of year um, paychecks um, uh, this year along. And so, if if more than $2,500 is is collected for that, um, the staff have have also decided to just give ab above that to the Lottie Moon offering. We didn't want to take away from what you're doing, uh, giving to Lottie Moon uh, to to help our staff out. Um, and they didn't. They, that's their heart too. They didn't want to. They didn't want to take away from that either. So if for some reason that much is given or more than that much is given, it'll just go towards Lottie Moon uh, specifically also. Um, and then the personnel committee has has already decided. You know the the way to break it out is, is a percentage that they've already decided for the next year's budget. So that's already decided, and it's really a percentage based on how tall the staff member is. Uh, um, <laughs> Yeah, so Diana, Ricky, sorry, where's Ricky? Yeah, yeah, there's just not a whole lot in there for you guys. No, uh, I'm not a staff member, I'm, so I don't, I'm tall. I mean, maybe I can get a temporary job so I can get a little. Anyways, um, we just, we thank you for considering that. Just pray to see how the Lord would, would lead you to that, uh, to, if you're able to give. Is there anything else, Nathan, that I, that I forgot? All good, got the thumbs up? Okay, thank you. Well, thanks, John. All right, don't forget that we're doing the blood drive. Uh, so when we dismiss, they're out there. They're going to be there till four o'clock. If you need to go grab lunch and come back and do so, I encourage all of you to consider doing that. If you are able to donate, that'd be amazing. Um, don't forget next Sunday's service. Invite friends and family to come with you. It'll be ten thirty. We're all together. It will be a shorter service because uh, the message will be a little bit shorter. And as we go from this place, may we go remembering that it's our job to go out and tell it on the proverbial mountain. I've been to Colorado recently. There are mountains there. I've been to College Station recently. There are no mountains here. So I guess maybe you need to go to the top of Kyle Field and yell it, and that'll, that'll work, right? Uh, so if you would stand with us, I'm going to dismiss us with prayer. And as we go, may we go out seeking to be disciples who make disciples that we would be the church together all for the glory of God. Let me pray for us, and then at the end of the prayer, we'll be dismissed. Father, we thank you for this time to be together as a church family, how you've blessed us with a wonderful church family. God, I pray that you would uh, allow us to invite others to be a part of this family, include them, and, 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 and that we would do life together. God, I pray that you'd be with individuals that may be in the hospital or rehab or healing or dealing with grief or 
just dealing with difficulties as we head into Christmas, while we understand that it's a joyful time because of what Christ has done on our behalf, it could also be a challenging time. So I pray that you would be with uh, all of us in our various areas of need, and that in the midst of those, that we would remember that you are Emmanuel, God, with us. Help us to go out and be disciples and make disciples to be the church all to your glory and for your sake. It's in Jesus' powerful name we pray. Amen. We're dismissed. Thank you.